and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Please turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. And today we'll look at how the ancient church at Ephesus was evaluated. It is interesting that any good deed that any local church has done can actually produce sadness in heaven. Yes, sadness in heaven, if the persons of that local assembly have stopped loving Jesus Christ the most. And now with his message for today is Pastor Robert Elliott. We are in Revelation chapter two, and maybe you can remember with me last time we looked at only the first verse and a half of chapter two. And I'd like to draw out three lessons we saw in chapter two, verse one and two and a half. The first lesson we saw is that the church is a big deal. The church is a big deal in the mind of God and it ought to be a big deal in our minds. The Church of Jesus Christ Universal is all born again believers all around the world, but this local church is but one expression of all kinds of local churches. The universal church expresses itself on earth through individual localized churches like this one. And so because the church is a big deal and this is our local church, we attend and we give and we serve and we don't take a cafeteria approach to our Christianity that we'll just go to this church for this program we like for our family and this church for another program we like for our family and the third church for another program, et cetera. We don't take a cafeteria approach, but we're loyal to our church and we see it as a big deal. I had an autographed baseball with me last week. Maybe that will remind you about the church being a big deal. The second thing we learned in these verses is that Jesus Christ holds the stars, the pastors, the human leadership of local churches in his righteous right hand of strength. He upholds pastors and elders and deacons in local churches. And there was a call last Sunday to upholding the pastors and the deacons of this local church. And I know I've had several of you come to me and talk of your commitment to pray for the pastors of our church. And I am so grateful for that support and that uh, prayerful way you're upholding us in our ministry of equipping all of you to do the work of the ministry. The third thing we saw in the first one and a half verses of chapter two is that we ought to live like fire is coming and it had a blowtorch to remind us that someday after the rapture of the church, every one of us will be required to stand before Jesus Christ as an evaluator and he will evaluate for us the quality of our work done for him. And it will either be gold, silver, precious stones, inflammable, or our work will be wood, hay, and stubble or straw, which is flammable. And fire will test the quality of each of our work. Not as terms of if we get to heaven or not, that's been settled by his finished work if we've trusted him, but instead what will be evaluated is whether or not he'll graciously reward us in the millennial kingdom with a share and a part in his righteous rule and reign, or we won't be given reward in the millennial kingdom of God. Those are the three points we saw last week, and now let's read the first three verses of chapter two, Revelation two. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, so we're saying that is the pastor. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, 
the one who holds the seven stars, that is Jesus Christ, the Lord of the church, who upholds the seven pastors of the seven ancient local churches in these two chapters, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Remember, we said last time that the seven golden lampstands are the seven ancient local churches. That means that Milford Bible Church, in the mind of Christ, in the only mind that counts, is a lampstand as well were to reflect the light of Jesus Christ and the hope of heaven, the forgiveness of sins through the gospel message to the region in which we've been planted, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York State, and through our missionaries to Chile and other countries around the world. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds, and that's where we stopped last week. I know your deeds, and he knew their deeds, and he knows our deeds. Jesus said to them, I know your deeds, and what were those deeds? Let's read on. And your toil and perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men, and that you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. So very obviously, the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, when he looked at that ancient church in Ephesus, he saw good deeds. He saw deeds that were good in his evaluation. Things like their hard work, their no-quit attitude, their intolerance of wicked people, their ferreting out, their sorting out, their sifting out of false apostles, their endurance in ministry, and the refusal to tie him. Boy, those are great things. What local church wouldn't want Jesus to say that of, of that local church? They're great things. That's especially so when you consider the history of this church in Ephesus. It was about 40 years old when John was given a revelation from the risen Christ for that church. The church in Ephesus was about 40 years old. And the apostle John, who was exiled on the Isle of Patmos and was given this revelation by God, was the bishop of Ephesus. He was the senior pastor of the church that's being addressed in these verses. He must have been very happy to hear Jesus say to him, to say to the church those good deeds that they were doing. That back in Ephesus at that time, it was a wicked city. It had a mammoth cult commerce, business on Diana or Artemis, a goddess, an idol of fertility and sexuality. But on top of Diana and Artemis, by the way, the temple to Artemis in ancient Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a big deal. They had other homemade cults in Ephesus. They had some that said, you should be ascetic. You should deny all comforts and all pleasures in life at one extreme. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there were cults in Ephesus that advocated total sexual immorality, greed, materialism, prostitution, gambling, superstitions of every sort. Kind of sounds like 21st century North America. And yet, Jesus saw good in that difficult hotbed. Look at verse 4, would you? But, Jesus said, I've seen all these good deeds, but, you know, but is a pivotal word in the Bible. But either says something very good has happened to change what was previously described, or but says something very sad has happened with respect to something good that had just been described. 
in Romans 5, 7, and 8. Let me illustrate. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But, good news, God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in that context of Romans 5, the Spirit of God was saying, hardly anybody will die for anybody, even if they're a good person. But God demonstrates his love toward us in this, that while we were lousy, vile, filthy, no good, helpless sinners, Christ died for us. So this word but, B-U-T, in scripture either is a very happy word, like in Romans 5, or it's a very sad word, like here in Revelation chapter 2. It's sad here in Revelation chapter 2 because Jesus has seen all these good deeds in the church of Ephesus. Then he says, but, and what follows is sad. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. How that must have pierced the bishop of Ephesus to have the spirit of God move him to write that on the papyrus that the people he pastored, the church that he led, humanly speaking, had left their first love. It must have been devastating. There was a systemic, a core, a root bad deed that caused all the other problems And it's the systemic root and core bad deed in any local church that can emerge that people in the local church who are redeemed leave their first love of Jesus. And he becomes an add-on. He becomes an appendage. He becomes an appendix. He becomes a footnote to all the activity of a local church, all the ministry of a local church, People can be busy in ministry and offering good quality programs and have left their first love. That is a systemic problem. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas Rogers, and I'm here today to talk about Vacation Bible School. As you know, there are many different things that are going on during the summer where you can get kids involved in, but I would encourage you to bring them to Calvary Bible Church for Vacation Bible School. This is a week fun-filled of activities, food, and just a great time to learn about God and His Word. In fact, this year our theme is Maker of Fun Factory, created by God, built for a purpose. And that, in its nutshell, just tells you what we are all about. This year, we want to look at each person in this whole world that was created by God and for a purpose. The question is, do we know why we were created by God and for what purpose? That is what we hope to relate to the the kids this year. And I would challenge you, um, if you have never been to one of our vacation Bible schools, that you would bring your kids. Those dates are July 3rd to July 7th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. We provide them with food. Um, snacks, and the cost is only $20 a week. I don't think you can beat that anywhere as we can consider what we actually give the teens in such a, a great ministry to our kids. But just so you can have an outline of what we're going to be looking at this year, day number one talks about God made you. We know that in our world today that there are many people who will say that we came from different ways, but we want to make sure that our kids understand that God made you. Day two is that God is for you. When we look at our country and we see things around us again, we see that we may have things that come against us, 
But we need to recognize that no matter what comes against us, God is there for us. And our kids, you know, as they have different fears and they don't, you know, they may be scared of the dark, whatever it may be, they need to recognize that God is there for them. Also, day number three is God is always with you. You know, God promises in the word that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And this is just a truth that we want to, you know, bring to your kids in a, in a way that show them that God is always with you. Day number four is God will always love you. You know, what greater love that God has done for us, that he would send his son to die for us. And that God always will love us, even in times when we don't, you know, we sin, that we don't represent the way that we possibly should. He loves us. And we are thankful for that grace because when we sit at the sin thing of our lives, God, we sometimes don't represent God in a way that's pleasing to him, but he always loves us. And the last day will be God made you for a reason. You know, that goes with the whole purpose of what this vacation Bible school again, maker fun factory created by God built for a purpose. You see, you are not a mistake. And you know, you may be listening to this this morning, and this may just be a spotlight for Vacation Bible School. But the reality is this. It's that each and every person was made for a reason. And that is to bring honor and glory to God. What I love about our VBS is this, is that we give an opportunity for our teenagers in our church to, to help, as well as we have a good mixture of adults as well. You know, they have great leaders. They have, you know, we have chaperones that are watching our kids. Uh, you know, we don't just come here and we, we don't look at Vacation Bible School as that, all right, we want to get this done, but we have people who love on these kids and show them the love of Christ because we are excited. In fact, I always tell people about Vacation Bible School, this is the week that I become a kid and I am very excited and I can, you know, show God's love and just to be not myself in a way that I can be a kid again, but to show them the truth of God's word. What I love about our Vacation Bible School is this as well, that a lot of Vacation Bible Schools are about crafts where kids will, you know, color and make different things as in, you know, with craft, you know, paper. But our vacation Bible school is a little different where each day our kids get a different gadget, whatever it may be, um, to show something that goes along with each day, whether it be a, what, a connector gear, which is something that your kid will have to come to find out, a GoBot, you know, all sorts of different things. In the past, we have actually in our v- vacation Bible school actually made snow. So, you know, this is a, a very great time for your kids to come and that, that, like I said, these are things to help instill God's truth in them so that they would understand just to show a practical way of how God works in our lives. Again, this is Calvary Bible Church. We are located on Collins Avenue. The, the dates for our vacation Bible is July 3rd to July 7th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. You may be listening to this broadcast and you may be wondering, well, how do I register for such a great event? Well, you can either call our church and um, you can stop by our church from 845 to 445, Monday to Friday at our church office. And we will be ready to you know, sign you up because space is limited and we need we need to know we, we already are excited. We are already ordering stuff, but we need to know exactly what our count is. So I would encourage you to you know, sign up early. We don't like to turn no one away. But the reality is, if it gets too big, we will have to turn people away. And we don't want that to be your kid. We don't want to miss this experience, this great summer ministry. Because like I said, Vacation Bible School is one of the greatest times of the year for us. Because we see kids from all walks of life. We see kids from all different churches, those who don't go to church. 
We are there for, this is not just a Calvary Bible church event, but it is for anyone who wants to come from kindergarten to grade six. So I would challenge you, please. My name is Pastor Nicholas. You can feel free to call me at Calvary Bible Church at 326-0800 if you have any questions. But we look forward to seeing your kid to Vacation Bible School this year. Again, just to be, so you can get those dates again if you missed them the first part, July 3rd to July 7th, and the cost is only $20. I hope that you have a great day, and I hope that you're preparing your kids for a great experience this summer, and God bless you. And now, today's ministry spotlight. I'm pleased this morning to have Dr. Marlene Heiler with me in the studio. Good morning, Marlene. Good morning, and good morning, Bahamas. Marlene is a professional counselor, and she is the co-founder of the New Providence Classical School here in Nassau. Marlene, this morning I'd like to visit with you a bit on the topic of children who are hurting. Mm. Children who are hurting. And let me begin by asking you, how can we be sensitive to spot a child who is hurting? Well, you can emotionally, you can be with someone and feel the wall between the two of you. Mm-hmm. So if you sense that something is off between between you and a child, your own child, your niece, your nephew, your godchild, or some child at church, don't deny it. If you feel as if this person is disconnecting emotionally, be aware. Come alongside. Don't preach at. Spend some time shoulder to shoulder, eye to eye, and just listen. Ask questions like, How do you know when someone loves you? Mm. If I wanted to show you how I love you, what do you need me to do? So become a listener. Be aware if your child's wearing long sleeves all the time, Mm. especially in the heat of summer. Because of this self-mutilation cutting. Exactly. Those are very helpful, practical things. Um, If you are a teacher or a Christian worker in a church, um, is there a legal responsibility if you have a sense that a child, a minor, is being abused, be that sexually or physically or emotionally? I'm glad you said yes, there is a legal responsibility as a Christian worker, even by law now, even as a neighbor, if you suspect that a child is being abused. Sexual abuse and emotional abuse, physical abuse, is very high in the Bahamas. Mm. For instance, at one point, we were the highest in the world for domestic violence. Really? So, yes, sexual abuse. There is a saying in the Bahamas, and, I mean, this may be crass, but the closer the bone, the sweeter the juice. Mm. So we, um, we have incest. We have children or even young adults who may have gotten pregnant, and they can't tell you who the real father of the child mm. is. So that is more prevalent than we would like to admit in the country. So incest and sexual abuse. We have Bahamian moms. In fact, my most painful session ever where I physically responded was a sexual abuse case where the child, I don't know if she was 12, 13, 14, but I remember she was so broken, she could not look me in the face. Mm. So I did the session on the floor. Wow. So she's in the couch and I'm on the floor Mm. trying to look up at her. But the moms are changing boyfriends and they're not being sensitive 
to what is going on with this man that is in their home or who visits the home frequently. Mm-hmm. And she was sexually abused by more than one, like a past boyfriend, like two or three different men. Mm. And and the mom feeling as if she has to have this man in her life, no, regardless of how it's affecting her child. So serious. So just going back to the reporting, the legalities of reporting. Yes. So I'm a pastor and I see a, a young woman in our church that, to me, so signs of physical abuse, bruising, um, a limp, uh, often has a cut on her face. Um, I go to her in compassion, non-judgmentally, and say, is someone hurting you? And she puts on a brave face and says, no, I'm fine. Right. I play lacrosse or I, I play right. soccer. That's right. why I, I get hurt. Right. What do I do next? Well, you definitely have to call the Department of Social Services and you will be assigned a social worker. And you have to be prepared for it possibly getting nasty. Mm-hmm. Because if the person is their own father or their own blood, you know, it's going to be hard for the child to report this person. But this person is literally taking away the life of a whole child and her whole future and her future children. So you have to realize the seriousness of the case and that it could get big and you could be legally called in to be a witness. Right. And uh, that's true Christ-like love is to risk and to sacrifice and to not care about yourself or the ramifications that could happen to you, but to see the greatest need in the person you love and then to step in, yes. uh, not with any malicious nature or vendetta, but just to step in to try to be a, a part of the solution. Exactly. And I would also say the church or someone in the church needs to be prepared to be, and you may ask me about that, be a safe place. For instance, you may have to be prepared or we have to find someone at church. And a lot of people, you know, the kids are grown and out of the house, but we may have to find a bedroom or a family who may be willing while you're going through the legalities to be a safe place for that child. That really causes us all to think and to ask ourselves, am I... Am I willing to do a radical thing that's the right thing? It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. I have a question based on the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Question is, what is the meaning of the phrase, the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God involves a king who rules, 
a people who are ruled, and a sphere in which this rule takes place. A key text that elaborates on this subject is 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, where God promised that one of David's descendants would reign over a kingdom forever. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets and the people of Israel anticipated the coming of their Messiah King and the fulfillment of this kingdom promise. The ultimate fulfillment of God's kingdom will be realized when Jesus Christ, descendant of David, takes the throne of Israel and rules over God's people forever. The fulfillment of the kingdom program with Jesus is clear from the words of Gabriel to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 33. Gabriel reports that Jesus is destined to receive the throne of David, to reign over the house of Jacob forever, and to rule a kingdom that has no end, all in fulfillment of 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. Jesus presented the prophesied kingdom to Israel when he announced, quote, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, end of quote. Because Jesus was rejected, the culmination of his kingdom was delayed. Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 indicates that the kingdom promises will be realized following the tribulation period at the second advent when the Jews accept Jesus as their Messiah. See Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10 all the way through Zechariah chapter 13 verse 1. While a future literal kingdom cannot be denied, Scripture indicates that the kingdom of God exists in the present age. While the kingdom is not the church, one might say that the church is the most visible and significant aspect of God's kingdom as it is developing today. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated by Christ's first coming, but it has not yet been culminated. The kingdom of God is a present spiritual reality, but to be fully realized at the return of Christ. Then the literal throne, dynasty, and kingdom of God will be consummated and will continue throughout all eternity. See Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.